We promise we are not a bunch of stuffy old lawyers saying stuffy old things. You heard that right. This is the Insight to Injury podcast, sponsored by Osterbind Law, PLLC. The podcast that reports to you, Central Virginia, about what's going on in the injury and disability world. We answer all the questions you don't even know to ask. Now, here's your host, Brandon Osterbind. Let's get started. Welcome back, Team Osterbein. Thanks for joining us again on the podcast about you and your injury and your disability, folks. I am Brandon Osterbein. I'm happy to be here with you today. And I wanted to talk to you today about uh, expert witnesses and how they will affect your case. And I really, uh, this conversation is prompted by a recent case out of the Virginia Supreme Court that I want to talk about today. But let me back up a little bit and talk about the many different ways that we interact with expert witnesses here at Osterbein Law. As you know, Osterbein Law is an injury and disability law firm. So we only deal with cases that involve injuries or disabilities. There are some types of injury cases and some types of disability cases that we don't do. And if you want a comprehensive list of what we do and we don't do, I'll put a link to our website uh, down here uh, in the show notes so that you can access that and you can kind of see where we fall on the um, accident and injury and disability spectrum. There are some people that do other things that we don't do, and there are some things that we do that other injury and disability attorneys don't do. But in our practice every day, we deal with people who are treated by medical professionals all the time. So we deal with experts all the time. We meet with them to talk about treatment. We talk about what their expert opinions are, what the permanency issues are, if there are any, what future medical care, there may be what past medical uh, treatment was necessary and reasonable based on the injury and the prognosis of the particular patient. Um, and we meet with people, doctors all the time, and we talk about these things. So we typically rely on treating doctors to be our experts. There are very few exceptions to that rule when, for example, we had a case not long ago where our treating doctor um, had actually moved completely out of state and was nowhere else to be found. And we had a difficult time finding that doctor Ultimately, we could not find that doctor, uh, so we couldn't use that treating doctor to come testify on behalf of our client. So what we did was we went out and we found a doctor who would be willing to review the medical records and look at the um, the case as a whole to kind of see is this injury legitimate? What was the treatment that was gathered or, or gained because of the injury? Was it necessary caused by the car accident? Um, and were the medical expenses that were incurred, were those reasonable and medically necessary to cure or to help ameliorate the pain of our client as a result of that car accident? And we got a written report and uh, everything went as planned and got the doctor got to testify and everything. So there are a couple of different ways that you can utilize experts in these personal injury cases. But one of the things that we often see in these personal injury cases, especially in neck and back cases, these are uh, spine cases. It could be cervical or or, um, thoracic or lumbar spine where people say, I have neck pain or I have uh, mid-back pain or I have low-back pain. Uh, A lot of times we see 
the insurance company go out and hire an expert to essentially say that our client isn't hurt. In other words, the insurance company is hiring a doctor to say that the plaintiff in the litigation, our client, is a liar and that they're lying about their injury or to the extent that they're not lying about their injury, they're they're lying about the cause of their injury. A lot of times what we'll see is the doctor saying, well, yeah, the, the person is injured, the person has a problem, but it is a uh, it's a degenerative condition that existed prior to the motor vehicle accident. Um, the wrinkle in, in those situations oftentimes is there has been no treatment whatsoever for prior low back pain or prior neck pain or something like that. So those are some of the things that we look for in these cases, or if there was some type of a prior treatment for a low back pain, is it the same low back pain that you have now? Or is it different? Is it at a different level? You have different levels of your spine and each each level is has a different name. So if you had uh, treatment or, or some type of a service done to you at the, um, the L1 level, then perhaps you don't, um, it's not the same injury as the pain that you're experiencing at L5. Uh, so there are all kinds of different places where pain could be emanating from your spine. And it's important after a car accident to make sure that you continue to get the necessary, necessary medical treatment that you need in order to make sure that you get that um, diagnosis so that we can distinguish between where the injury is on your back or on your spine. But I want to talk to you today just briefly about a case that came out of the Virginia Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of Virginia here. And I'm going to, I pulled it up here on my screen so I can, I can point out a couple of important things to you. Um, now here we are centrally located in Virginia, in central Virginia, in the Lynchburg area. So, you know, Richmond is a two hour drive to the east. Roanoke is a, is a one hour drive to the west. Uh, I grew up in the south side of Richmond. I'm very familiar with that area. Um, go out there, still a family that lives out there. I love to visit my family in Richmond. So, very familiar with that area, but I'm also very familiar with the the area uh, west of here, and we we ha we get cases from out in that direction too. So uh, we've got cases spanning from Richmond, which is I guess technically still considered Central Virginia, um, out to Roanoke, and um, some in Salem and um, and beyond. So uh, we kind of get around in this Central Virginia region. But one of the frequent things that we see is in these personal injury cases is the insurance company will hire a doctor who will essentially say that our client is not injured. And they, we have what we call in the plaintiff's bar frequent flyers, right? There are, there are doctors that essentially ride the circuit and they almost all they do is review these medical records and issue opinions that say that, oh, no, the, the patient really wasn't that injured and should have been better in six, within six to eight weeks. Any treatment beyond that six to eight weeks is not causally related to this car accident, but rather it was it's caused by the underlying degenerative spine condition of the plaintiff. Now, let's be clear. Every time I've talked to a medical doctor who actually treats spine 
um, care patients. Um, I talk to non-operative spine doctors. I talk, I've talked to operative spine doctors, and almost all of them, every single time I've had a real conversation with one of them, they all tell me that once you get to the age 30, most people likely will have some form of de- degenerative disc disease in their back or spine somewhere. It could be up in your neck. So this degenerative disc disease um, is something that we all start to experience, but we don't all start to experience pain or symptoms from that degenerative uh, disc disease. So because of that, just because you have a a degenerative condition in your spine doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to need any medical treatment in your spine. And that's an important distinction because what we have to prove as the plaintiff is that the car accident actually caused the need for you to seek medical treatment. It caused the symptom. It caused the medical treatment. And that is what we're after. We may not be able to say uh, to a jury that the car accident caused your underlying condition, but did it exacerbate it or aggravate it? And the answer a lot of times is yes. And the way that you prove that is through a combination of things. One, through your doctor who can look at all your prior medical records and see that you never complained of low back pain before or never complained of neck pain before or never received any form of treatment before, but now you've received a significant amount of treatment after the car accident. But we can also prove it with the testimony of lay witnesses, friends, family, coworkers who can testify that before the accident, you didn't have any problem with your spine. You didn't have any problems looking left or looking right or looking up or looking down or any of those things or carrying things or sitting for long periods of time or standing for long periods of time. Those people who see you day in and day out are probably the best folks to put in front of a jury because they're the most believable. They have nothing to gain, but nothing to lose. They're telling the truth because they raised their hand in a court of law and they swore to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's why they are there. Yes, they may be friends, family, or co-workers with you, but they're not going to take the stand and risk a, a criminal charge of perjury to lie on your behalf, especially when they're not getting anything out of it. So let's back up to these expert witnesses hired by the insurance company. A lot of times what the insurance company will do is they'll hire an attorney to defend the defendant, the person who hit you. And that attorney will go out and get all the medical records, every single last medical record that he or she can find. And they'll get them all up and they'll put them all in a package and they'll go and they'll hire an, uh, uh, an expert, a medical expert to review all the documents and to give an opinion as to whether you're your medical treatment as a result of the car accident was in fact a result of the car accident. And they'll pay these doctors thousands of dollars. If if you look at some of these bills, it could be by the time you get to the review stage, to the uh, trial stage, you could pay this doctor five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars to come testify. So it's a significant investment for them to pay these doctors. But these doctors know what the insurance company want, and they know how to put it in the report so that they can articulate that, that to the jury. And I want to talk about that. Brings me to this case, Graves versus Shoemaker. It's a case that was just the opinion was just released on this. December 10th, which is today, and it's an opinion written by Justice Mims, but it appears to be a unanimous opinion. And what happened in that case was the plaintiff was represented by an attorney, had uh, incurred about $26,000 in medical expenses 
after a car accident because of back, hip, and neck pain, as well as increased depression and anxiety, leading her uh, to seek medical care and physical therapy. Now, $26,000 in medical expenses. It looks like the plaintiff asked for a, a judgment in a hundred for $150,000, went to a jury trial, and the plaintiff filed a subpoena ducis tecum, which is a fancy word for um, uh, to get documents from a person who is not a party to the case, and asked for all of the um, uh, money that this particular medical expert had earned from cases where State Farm was the insurance company. And you, you would be shocked to know how much this doctor, this Dr. Um, uh, William C. Andrews, who is one of our frequent flyers, we see reports from him a good deal in our cases. But over the course of about 12, 10 to 12 years, he had testified for this attorney 30 to 35 times and only one time, only one time did he testify on behalf of the plaintiff and State Farm had paid him $793,193,198 for the testimony he provided for their insureds from 2012 to 2018. So that's a six-year period. So he made almost $800,000 in a six-year period from one insurance company. One, there are a bunch of other insurance companies that hire him. We've we've gotten reports from Nationwide, uh, cases with Nationwide, Geico, uh, Progressive. All of these big-named insurance companies know about Dr. Andrews, and they go to Dr. Andrews because they know what they're going to get in return. So they State Farm alone, over six years, paid eight hundred thousand dollars. It's a little bit over a hundred thousand dollars per year. And this is just in his legal capacity of reviewing medical records and issuing opinions about the cause of medical treatment. So the question in that case was whether the plaintiff can bring that up in front of a jury. You would think that that is clear evidence of bias on on the part of this particular doctor. Well, you would be right. Uh, in, in Lombard, it's a case that was decided some time ago, uh, Lombard versus Rohrbaugh. It's uh, 262 Virginia 484 back in 2001. The Supreme Court of Virginia held that that material is admissible to establish bias if there is some type of a substantial relationship between the doctor and the insurance company. Because the big issue is the jury is not allowed to know that insurance exists to pay for any verdict that it might award. So if you have a a case where the insurance company has $100,000 policy limits and you think that you have a $100,000 case, you would think that would be helpful information for the jury to know. It's not actually the defendant who's paying for this judgment. It is the insurance company, but we cannot tell the jury that. The jury cannot hear the word insurance. In fact, the judges will jump up out of their chairs frequently because someone in the room, in the courtroom, mentions the word insurance. 
uh, even dur- during jury selection, if, if someone in the jury box mentions the word insurance, the judges will jump up out of their chair because the word insurance ought not be uttered in the courtroom. So you've got that as a backdrop, but you also have this scenario where the insurance company has hired this expert to come in and testify that the person is not really that hurt. And then they turn around and pay $800,000 to this doctor over the course of six years. That is clear evidence of bias. So there is an exception to the no insurance conversation rule for um, other purposes for example, establishing a bias or prejudice of a witness. And this is one of those situations where you can get that information in front of a jury if you um, have some type of a substantial relationship between the, the provider, the, uh, ex- the expert testifying doctor, and the insurance company. Here, clearly there was. $800,000 over six years is a lot of money. So, uh, And if he only testified once out of 30 to 35 times, for the plaintiff, I think that's also clear evidence of bias that he's looking at the case from a defense perspective, from the insurance company's perspective. So ultimately what happened was the judge in that case says, well, the lawyer hired the expert, therefore there is no substantial relationship. There has to be a more direct relationship between the testifying expert and the insurance company. But the Supreme Court overruled that and said that is not true. In fact, what the Supreme Court said is that there does not have to be a direct relationship. There has to be a substantial relationship. So what they said in this particular case, and I think this is interesting the way that that Justice Mims puts this. He says, Uh, If we were to adopt the position advocated by the appellee, defendants could avoid cross-examination on potential expert bias resulting from a prior relationship with an insurance company simply by having the defense attorney retain the expert rather than having the insurance company retain the expert directly. Such an outcome would effectively deny plaintiffs their right to establish that a witness is biased. And then he goes on, and this is interesting too. Moreover, the issue of Dr. Andrews' bias was a consideration for the jury. Dr. Andrews alleges that he was not aware that State Farm would benefit from his testimony when he wrote his report. Listen to the sarcasm in my voice as I read this. Let me read that again. Dr. Andrews alleges that he was not aware that State Farm would benefit from his testimony when he wrote his report. The plausibility of that assertion rested on his credibility, which the jury was entitled to consider given his experience working with insurers and defense attorneys. You get that? So essentially what, what's happening here is that Justice Mims is saying the jury is the ultimate weigher determiner of credibil- credibility. And Dr. Andrews' testimony that he wasn't even aware that State Farm would benefit from his opinion is essentially rubbish. Uh, and the jury ought to get to hear that to make that determination for themselves. It's clear to me as I read this opinion that Justice Mims And apparently the rest of the Supreme Court justices did not find Dr. Andrews' opinion all that credible. So here we are with an expert opinion who says, oh, I didn't even know that it was from State Farm, but I've made $800,000 from State Farm over the last six years. Um, 
And the jury ought to be able to hear that degree of bias. Now, there's two sides of that coin, right? Like, So the insurance company or the doctor has an incentive to uh, testify on behalf of this particular insurance company. But I've even heard some jurors who have given uh, some verdicts say that, well, if the insurance company is paying him that much, well, then he must be good. I think that is a calculated risk that plaintiffs have to take because the insurance company and the relationship between the insurance company and the um, doctor who is testifying repeatedly or providing reports repeatedly for this insurance company so that they can save money, that degree of a relationship has to be known by the jury in order to discount the amount that the doctor charges. So I've even heard some some jurors say, well, if he's charging you know, $500 an hour, well, then he must be really good at what he does. So you have to combat that impression with the true facts that he's ultimately being paid by the insurance company. And because he's being paid by the insurance company, such a substantial amount, he has an incentive to fudge the information that he's presenting to the jury and the jury shouldn't believe it. Ultimately, what happened in that case, in the Graves case, was that the jury returned a verdict of $3,000. Remember that the jury heard evidence that the plaintiff suffered $26,000 in medical expenses because of the accident. The treating medical providers testified to that. And here we are with Dr. Andrews saying, no, 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 no that, none of that's related. He should have gotten better in six to eight weeks or whatever he said. Um, and ultimately, the jury discounted all the plaintiff's treating providers and said that uh, we're only going to award damages for $3,000. That is a slap in the face, folks, but it happens more often than you would know or more often than you would want to believe. So what happened was the plaintiffs filed a motion for a new trial based on the judge's erroneous ruling that they could not offer the uh, substantial relationship between Dr. Andrews and State Farm. The trial judge denied that. They appealed it up to the Supreme Court of Virginia, and the Supreme Court of Virginia reversed it. And if you go all the way down to the um, the – uh, the conclusion of this opinion, the Supreme Court vacated the judgment and remanded the case back to the circuit court. And what happens now is that the insurance company and the plaintiff and the defendant, they all have to go through the trial once again, but this time the plaintiff's lawyer is allowed to present all of the evidence of the substantial relationship between Dr. Andrews and State Farm. Now the plaintiff has a better opportunity to accurately put information in front of the jury so that the jury can make a more informed, a better informed decision about this particular case. What is what happens in this case is yet to be seen. There you know, every jury is different. So it's not like you can say um, that, you know, this jury awarded $3,000. So the next jury is going to award $3,000 or the next jury ought to award $150,000. You really can't predict it with that degree of, of precision, 
But what you do get here is another bite at the apple, and the plaintiff's attorney will be better because he's already tried the case once. The defense attorney will likely be better because he's already tried the case once. The judge will even know all of the facts of the case and see the whole thing from start to finish. So the only new piece to this trial is going to be the jury, and the jury is going to have better, more accurate information about the bias of Dr. Andrews, and hopefully we'll cross our fingers for our uh, brothers and sisters in the plaintiff bar um, to hopefully the jury will see this case for what it is and give a much better verdict based on the significant amount of injuries that this particular plaintiff has suffered. $26,000 in injuries um, is a significant amount of money and it ought to be reimbursed the full amount of the medical expenses plus the plaintiff's inconvenience, lost wages, uh, any mental anguish or pain and suffering that that the plaintiff has experienced uh, and all of that stuff ought to be fully and fairly compensated as a result of this accident so i hope that we can follow this case i hope that we get an update uh, from the folks who are who are trying this case at some point it doesn't always happen like that you see the supreme court opinion come out and then maybe you'll get to another trial here probably uh, in the latter part of 2021 um, so it's going to be you know out of sight out of mind for most of us. We see it today. The opinion came down today. So we are talking about it today, but a year from now, we, I will probably have forgotten about this particular uh, case. So I won't necessarily follow up with it, um, but I will use this case in future cases for us because there are all kinds of doctors out there who are frequent flyers, Dr. Andrews just being one of them. And our job as plaintiff's attorneys is to create or to find that substantial relationship between the insurance company and the treating or the testifying doctor, the hired gun of the insurance company, if you will, to discredit their opinion so that the jury can make a full and informed decision about the damages in this particular case. I hope this has been helpful. Of course, if you want to reach out to me, if you've been injured in an accident and you want to talk to us about um, how to handle your case or, or what you should be thinking about, feel free to give us a call, shoot us an email. We'd love to chat with you about it. We offer free strategy sessions, so we make sure that you can know exactly what needs to happen in your case without uh, any cost or any pressure to uh, to sign a retainer agreement. Sometimes people come into us and they just they just know that they want to hire us, and that's okay. But other times people come into us and they they just don't know. They just they just want some information, and we are happy to provide that information free of charge. If you just take a look at our website, you'll see that we provide information upon information upon information uh, for our clients free of charge because we think that the insurance company has an information uh, inequality benefit. And inf the information all is in the possession of the insurance company, but there is not a whole lot of information out there for normal folks, everyday folks who are injured in a car accident who need that information. So our job is to not just represent people well, but as attorneys and counselors at law, our job is to educate and inform our community so that people can live better lives. And that's the point of this podcast. Thanks for listening in. Uh, we hope that you have a wonderful and a very Merry Christmas. 
Thanks for listening to the Insight to Injury podcast by Osterbind Law PLLC, where we declare mortal combat against information inequality about your injury or disability. We hope you enjoyed this show, but don't stop here. Don't stop here. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star review. We need your help so that we can help more people.